Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to the Walker Rapport Extra Podcast. You're back with me again, I'm sorry to say, it's Graham. Someone said I was sounding a bit depressing last week and they were sick of hearing the depressing things. Well, I'm sick of watching depressing football, to be honest with you, but I thought I'd touch on obviously the the week in past with Sunderland Football Club. Got Bristol City on Saturday and that's the main reason I'm here, is to discuss that with my guest today, which is going to be uh, Stanley from one stream in Bristol. Essentially, I suppose the past week, there's been a lot of talk about protest, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, how we should do it, how we should move forward. It's been a really difficult, but again, apathetic week from a Sunderland perspective. What is actually always quite interesting is to see how other teams' fans view us from the outside because we must look like we're in complete free fall. We're coming on the back of another defeat, this time at home to Ipswich, which was, we lost the game with, with barely a whimper. This week, we've got Bristol City, who've been playing really well, the sixth in the league, far and far ahead of where we are, like far, far ahead. They've already beat us once this season. I've got a worry that they might do it again on Saturday. Today's got Stanley from One Stream in Bristol. How are you doing today, Stanley? You're well. I'm good. I'm good. I'm certainly feeling better than most Sunderland fans, I can imagine, at the moment. Yeah, I think everyone is. I think statistically, we're the most depressing team to support in England at the moment. And you live really far up north as well, so it just gets even worse, doesn't it? <laughs> I'll cut that bit out. <laughs> um, so you've had a good season you've had a good season Stanley from what I can see and uh, I don't want to touch on something too much straight away I think you know the whole idea of this podcast is to preview the match on Saturday we all know we've been pretty shite for the best part of however many years it's been but Bristol said you're doing quite well what have you been doing right this season? Well it's tough to say I mean we sort of saw flashes of this sort of occasional brilliance and, and amazing performances last season but then it all went to pot and we ended up sort of breaking our record losing run um, I think part of it is that last season we our main two players for the most part were Lee Tomlin and Tammy Abraham. And although we replaced Tammy Abraham's goals, I think, with Bobby Reed, we needed to replace Lee Tomlin's sort of uh, lack of work rate because he went, we sold him to Cardiff and we needed sort of uh, a team mentality, more of a sort of uh, 11 men all playing for each other sort of ethos. And I think with Bobby Reed playing in the nine and a half or the 10, he works harder than anyone I've seen, anyone I can remember for Bristol City. And I think the, the disparity between Reed and Tomlin's output and work rate, I think has been a, a major plus for the team this season. If we can carry on sort of working hard and doing the basics right, I think we can beat most teams because we've got players like Patterson, Brian or Reed himself who can come out with the occasional bit of brilliance. I think I was, one thing I was really impressed with with 
there, Bristol City, and it was earlyish on the season when you beat us two one at the stadium. But and there's not many teams that have impressed me this season, which sounds weird being you know second bottom of the league. And imagine there's a lot, but I'm actually surprised at the lack of quality in in this sort of league. To be honest with you, and it's even more frustrating that the amount that we struggle in it. But I was really impressed with like Bristol City's sort of team ethic. There was no super standout players. You just all seemed to know what you were doing, where you were at. And uh, Bobby Reed, you touched on before, because he scored at the stadium. He looked quite handy. Is he, was he a, a summer signing then, I take it? No, he's been here for a long time, but he he might as well have been. He, he was essentially was a summer signing um, because he's only just appeared on the scene, really. I mean, he's been a youth player, a city player all his life, since, since he was 12. And um, he's always shown brilliance. I mean, I used to watch him probably three, four years ago in the youth, t- in the under-21 team. And every single game, he was a standout player. He would score free kicks. He would take penalties. He would run the game. But that was always as a playmaker as an attacking midfielder and when we first came up to the championship Reed sort of played fleetingly behind the striker or in a 10 but this season because of Abraham going away and Tomlin basically not being in the plans we needed a new striker a new nine and a half and Lee Johnson thought about going out to Europe and he looked at all these different options and when he sort of put their stats into the big machine the big algorithm sort of generator he realized that Boy Reed is probably fast enough he's quick enough agile enough He's got enough stamina and he thought, well, let's give him a shot. So he basically moved him to striker for the first time since uh, his youth career. So he was always he was a striker up until I think under 16s, moved to a centre mid playmaker. But this season, he's been a revelation up front and he's got Famro Jeju, who, we, who didn't play, I don't think, in the Sunderland away game because I think he might have been injured. We had Milan Juric instead, but Bobby Reed and Famro Jeju, they work really well together. But Reed with 12 goals in the league, 14 all competitions, an absolute revelation. And he looks like he's been playing striker all along it's it's really is quite peculiar i think in terms of improvement over a, over a small period i think reed certainly stands out as as one i can't i can't think of anyone ever improving so rapidly in such a short space of time i know he got the goal at the stadium of light but um it's not like he did have a good performance that day alongside many other of our players yeah i think it was a good performance from from bristol's perspective obviously it was during that period where we i think we were realizing how hard it was going to be and i think one thing like i said before the team ethic from from bristol's City's perspective, you could see there was a plan, an idea that the manager knew how they were going to play, um, and you could kind of see that. And sadly, we just couldn't handle that, which is really quite depressing from our perspective. But I guess um, the one standout player for me that I've, I've known for a while, we we were linked to him. I think when Allardyce was here, and I think that's when he came on our radar. And obviously, he's an absolute giant at the back, and he can stick them in from the corners. I think I have to mention like Eden Flint. How important is he to your team as a whole? Despite the fact you have this team ethic he is probably the standout individual from an outside perspective how important is he I think he is quite important. I think he certainly, like you're right, he definitely does stand out to, to sort of the outsiders because Bobby Reed sort of, even though he's got 12 goals, because under the radar. And uh, I think Flint grabs all the headlines, to be fair. I mean, he, someone quite key to Aidan Flint who won't be playing against Sunderland is Nathan Baker. And they form quite a formidable sort of partnership at the back. I haven't seen, a, I think Jordan Hugel might be the only striker off the top of my head that's not been bullied into the ground by those two. They really are two absolute giants at the back Flint I mean six goals in the league which is exceptional he's already matched his tally for last season but he hasn't scored since uh, Sheffield United in early December so he he's, he might be due a goal he, he's, he's important I think he was close to being sold in the summer I think as most people know and he, almost, he could have got sold in January as well and we've got Bailey Wright who's sort of I don't know I think some people would say that Aiden Flint and Bailey Wright are similar abilities Aiden Flint's probably more uh, got more ability going forward and sort of scoring goals but I think Bailey Wright Aiden Flint still has the occasional bit of nonsense, the occasional bit of you know dodgy clearance or a dodgy header. 
But um, yeah, with Nathan Baker out, Aiden Flint's going to be absolutely crucial in the air at the back. And going forward in set pieces, he, he can get a goal from anywhere. He's so big. And he's like, is he six foot five, six foot six? I mean, I remember I used to, I remember the first time, I think when we signed him, it must have been an old FIFA game. I thought six foot four, that's good. But they were way off. He looked, he could be six foot seven, six foot six and a half. I mean, I've seen him play against Crouch this season and Ibra Himovic this season, and he looks as big. And the thing is, you get a lot of centre backs nowadays that are six, five, six, six, but they're not in proportion. They're quite skinny. Yeah. Whereas Aiden Flint, you know, if he was in the distance, you wouldn't know how tall he is. But as soon as he comes up to him, he's massive, huge broad shoulders, huge arms. He's just, he is a freak. I've never, it's just, it's <laughs> stupid how many headers he wins in the air. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Bristol City, as much as they've been playing really good football this season, a lot of the headlines have been grabbed by the, the kind of hilarious uh, goal gifts. But also, was it Eden Flint that was uh, questioning where Guardiola got his uh, Stony Island jacket from? Am I right in saying that? You are right. Yeah, good spot. I mean, uh, it's a team of characters, really. It's quite peculiar. They're all, I mean, they're all equally silly. They've all got their own individual sort of little things that, that they like. Um, yeah, that was true. At the end of the Man City game, all the players were shaking hands and uh, Guardiola went to Aiden Flint and shook his hand and what, what I find amazing is this is probably Aiden Flint's only chance to have a conversation have a quick chat you know a 30 second conversation with arguably the best manager in the world at the moment and he doesn't he just says where's your Stone Island badge on his shoulder that was it all he asked and Pep didn't know what to say sort of <laughs> laughed it off and Flint walked down but um, the day after or two days later Marlon Pack posted on Instagram that, that Pep Guardiola had sent Aiden Flint a full Stone Island tracksuit to the training ground for Aiden <laughs> Flint to wear so uh, yeah team of characters we love the gifts I mean we get a bit of stick when we don't score but um, it, does, it doesn't matter I think it's worth it I mean we've had some great amazing goals and loads of retweets and the, the media team are very good they've done a very good job and everyone's loving Bristol City at the moment it's great to be sort of a team for the neutrals because normally the neutrals sort of support the biggest team you know and maybe it would mean more kids in Bristol wearing Bristol City tops instead of Arsenal or Man U etc yeah and, and that's a struggle you have even even when I was growing up in Sunderland like the early 90s I actually grew up in South Shields but like had a, my grandparents in Sunderland as well so if anyone had a chance to support a different team it was Man United or those that up the road because of how well they were doing so and there is a struggle with that especially when you're in the championship because you know that's the future of the football club isn't it essentially and, and just little things like funny gifts as daft as it sounds social media is a huge thing and you know Sunderland uh, as a, a social media side have got a lot of stuff wrong this season I mean I, I, people listening will know what I'm talking about but they've got it right recently and it just it seems like they've discovered gifts only recently but it, it mm. kind of works it's just a bit of a laugh but the, uh, the the goal gifts I just I had to mention that I know that's not related <laughs> to football at all but I watched one the other day with uh, was it Joe Bryan the one where he's wearing like the hat did they change them every week or am I just like imagining that um i think i mean because originally it was just sort of everyone had a quite a serious one it's quite chilled out and then the players that scored more so i think reed and flint were sort of early on were sort of the 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 players scoring the most goals and they stagnate so after two viewings or three viewings of the same gif everyone's like oh this is boring change it and so they decided to really just you know rattle out some crazy ones and i think most of the players i mean joe bryan has scored five goals in all competitions and he's probably had three or four different ones patterson scored a fair few goals i i think they sort of they update and they get sillier and sillier you know I think we've seen Flint brushing his teeth we've seen Marlon Pack ironing a a football shirt Uh, they're great and they're only going to get sillier I want sort of end of the season complete nonsensical gifts that no one can even you can't even interpret them they're that weird that's the level I want it to get to 
<laughs> and the thing is with stuff like that as well, people were probably listening thinking, oh, gold gifts, you know, I want to talk about the match and the, and the football and stuff like that. But you know what? Like you look, you talk before about characters in your team. You talk about characters. And that's such a huge thing that, you know, the team want to do stupid things like that, which is funny. You can't see people like Jack Rodwell doing it for us. I mean, imagine how ridiculous that would be imagining that someone like Jack Rodwell would do that for us. The, at least those guys want to be there, have a bit of a laugh, enjoy their day to day of going into training and being a professional professional footballer on the flip side we've got the opposite we seem to have you know 15 to 20 players that just genuinely don't want to be here um I tell you what I always find really interesting you, you spoke sort of really quite passionately and, and positively about Bristol City and, I, and I'm noticing this a lot with a lot of fans I'm speaking to with the exception of maybe Hull um a lot of the fans I've spoken to, they do speak passionately. They are really pleased to go to the match on a Saturday. They are proud to support the team they support and they're talking about people wearing Bristol City shirts in Bristol as opposed to Arsenal. And I've mentioned this a few times and, you know, it, it makes me wonder from the outside perspective, I, I almost feel like people probably feel sorry for us because we must look just so disheveled. What's the view of Sunderland from your perspective as a complete neutral, completely outside of the region? I mean, uh, I mean, you've always sort of flirted. You always sort of flirted with relegation, haven't you? For the last, I don't know, probably five, maybe even six seasons in the Premier League, and you always seem to somehow fluke it. You'd basically step by the skin of your teeth and beat Newcastle. That was a standard Sunderland season. I mean, I don't know. It just looks like you're in a pretty dire situation. All the media stuff with Rodwell and sort of him, him naturally wanting to be paid off uh, as you would. I mean, it'd be interesting. You, you mentioned Hull. It'd be amazing. This, apparently, this would be the first ever double double relegation. So two teams getting two relegations back to back I mean Sander I think you guys losing Gra- I, I didn't think you guys would keep hold of Graben to be honest I mean he's obviously on a fair wedge I didn't think you'd, you'd bring him back I think you've brought in some couple of decent players but I imagine we'll probably preview the game and the players more in detail it just seems dark it just seems a dark dreary place the stadium of, of light as it's ironically called I suppose at the moment I mean yeah. you guys are getting not very good attendances I mean you went a calendar year was it without winning the home game we were it's just one day a, off. One day off. One day off. Wow. Well, congratulations. I'm sure they all <laughs> threw a big party, didn't you? Um, no, I I, like it, it seems dire. It does see. It seems dire. I do. I, I, I'm not sure. When I tell you what. So when I'm watching football, my mum walks in. She always gets a bit depressed for the team that loses. So if the team gets beaten five 0 she's like, "Oh, that's a bit sad." And I'm yeah. sort of a little bit like that with Sunderland. Like, oh, it is a shame. But then it's the nature of football. Teams do have to get relegated. Teams do sort of fall short. And I don't know. I think with the sort of the the money beast that's the Premier League, maybe uh, part of me thinks, yeah, it's great that Premier League teams are getting paid ridiculous amounts of being sort of punished for their gluttony in a strange way. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I feel sorry for the football fans, but for the club itself, um, I don't know. It's the nature of the game, I suppose. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. And I mean, when it comes to when it comes to Sunderland, it, it, it is almost like we're being punished for the stupid decisions that our chairman's made, if anything. Um, I mean, the amount of money we've wasted, I could reel off just five players and it's not even the beginning. I think there was something like at one point, maybe like in January last year, we had, I think it was of the 30 sign-ins we'd made or something like that, three of them we'd made a profit on. And it's not just that, it's the amount of loss you see. I mean, Danny Graham, 5 million, 30, 40 grand a week. Stephen Fletcher, 12 million. You look at a lot of the players and the amount of money that we spent and the quality that we got back, the recruitment is just so terrible. I mean, you look at Adam Matthews, for example, who was obviously at Bristol City, he was completely out of the team. 1.5 million, didn't play for the best part of two years, give or take, I think, one Colin Cup game or something like that. And now he 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 gets in the team every other week 
because the people we spent the best part of like 10, 11 million on and paid 50 grand a week didn't do anything and left on a free transfer. And Danny Graham, for example, we paid 5 million for him, what, three or four years ago. He's in League One now. So where is this scouting come from? Where is this recruitment and and the plan behind it? I suppose changing managers doesn't help and the choice of managers really doesn't help. But it annoys me as, as a Sunderland fan that we, at one point in this mad six seasons that we've had, couldn't have done what Bristol City have done, Sheffield United have done, and a few different teams of, of that ilk have done and just built a bit of a team. We should be, we should surely be punching above where we are at the moment. I, I don't I don't mean promotion. I mean at least 15th. I mean, I think at the worst case scenario, many of us thought 15th, 16th, maybe we'd flirt with mid-table, nowhere near promotion. But it just seems that these defeats are just never-ending. And you, you kind of you think, well, it's got to stop at some point, but it just doesn't. It continues on. I don't even feel like Chris Coleman's managing to lift that sort of doom and gloom. Were, were you surprised that Coleman took the job at Sunderland? I, I was, to be fair. But then you wonder how much the, the Welsh FA pays their manager. I don't know how much he was getting paid, but it might not have been an obscene amount to keep him there. Not a great deal, apparently. Not a great no, deal, I'd, so he said. Yeah, oh, well, there you go. There you go. Not a great deal. I was surprised when he got rid of Grayson, to be honest. I thought that was ludicrous. I expected you guys to be to, to be down there because a lot of the Premier League players that you, you have, they've never played in the Championship before. And it's eight more games and it is a much faster paced division than the Premier League. People talk about the Prem being quite hard and but you look at teams like Huddersfield, they wouldn't they wouldn't look out of place in the championship with their pressing style. You know, that kind of style is is commonplace. A lot of teams do that. And if it's not that, it's you know, kick it and run and hoof balls and way more aerial challenges than the Premier League that's been shown. I think I mean, I don't know. I mean I don't value the, the Welsh job very highly because I don't see that as a big job, but maybe that's just because I'm English and I yeah, don't know. Yeah. It's a weird one. I th- I think you guys should have kept Grayson. I think you should be more patient. I mean you talk about sort of sort of the overturn of players. I think any team that comes down from the Premier League to the championship they can go, do it one of both ways if they know they've got a group of players that can bounce straight back fine I don't think anyone would have backed Sunderland to bounce straight back no offence no, to the Sunderland team but no, I don't think no one in the right mind one. a team like Villa maybe you know look at a team like Villa they, they probably should have bounced back first of all they had the squad but they didn't and now they've waited their time they've you know, they've stagnated a little bit in the championship, but they've slowly got better now. They've brought in the right players, brought in championship players and go up. And now they're looking like they could go up. I think you should have done the same with, with Grayson as manager. You should have given him time. I know they've got a lot of players on big wages, but they would have slowly been sold off. And you look at like, you know, fine, Graben goes back and you look at Ndong being loaned out. Players like that will slowly go away. And then you let Grayson build a proper championship team. And I thought it was weird he got rid of him. And Coleman, I mean, I can't remember the last time he managed a club team and the last time he managed in the championship. Surely there was a better option than him. It's an interesting thought. I'll be honest, I've never I've never heard. We, we haven't, from us doing the uh, the preview shows and in, in, in general, we've never had the opinion we should have kept Grayson. So I, I kind of want to have a bit of a chat about that, I guess, in a sense, because I'll be honest, we've never had that. A lot of people have either glazed over it or, or, or spoken about Coleman and, and how they were surprised that it went. But Grayson's record was uh, no clean sheets and he had one win in 17. So you can understand why he went. But I suppose what I want to ask is because I, I, w- I was of the opposite opinion. I, I never thought Grayson was really the right guy. And I think that gradually came on. But you have more experience of the, the championship than I do. That That's the truth. You know, I, I mean, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. But the league has changed. The, the football's changed. Where do you think we went wrong with Grayson? Do you think we would have gone further down or do you think it would have improved? What, what could you see from the outside that Grayson had? Um, well, it's, it's tough. I mean, first of all, I fully understand the, the, the viewpoint of 
not hiring Grayson in the first place, that's fine. And I don't know who the other names were with the job. I know I just know that Grayson got it. Perhaps he didn't suit your sort of the players you had, because obviously when he was at Preston last season, it was a very hard working team, sort of similar to Bristol City now in some respects, that everyone's sort of doing their duty and doing it well. And maybe with sort of the the, the various flair players that came down from the Prem or players that weren't wouldn't be used to the pace, maybe Grayson's sort of tactics and style wouldn't have suited that. But I just think you guys are second from bottom at the moment. You know, you guys aren't really doing that much better. There isn't really a dead cat bounce. I mean, you're only two points off Barnsley uh, outside the relegation spot, but I just don't think that Coleman... I don't see how Coleman could have improved it. Grayson knows the league better than Coleman. Grayson's been man- you know, managing club football, at least in the in the last few years. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I found it a bit weird when he went. I just thought, as soon as you guys were bottom for that long, I just thought, well, you're going to be bottom for that long anyway. You may as well keep the, the, the manager around because he'll you know have longer to have looked at the problem. It's an interesting thought, to be fair. I mean, um, I think at the same time, you're right in what you're saying. And I, I spoke about, I went to the match on Saturday um, for, for context for yourself, obviously that the listeners know, but I live in Glasgow. So me getting to the match recently has not been as, as frequent as I'd like it to be, but um, or, or, or too frequent if you prefer. And I was at the game on, um, I was at the game on, on Saturday and it, it did feel like nothing had improved from the, I mean, I went to quite a few games at the beginning of the season. I had a, a bit of a break to be honest, because I needed it. I was going nuts. I hadn't had a break since 97, pretty much. Um, I, I needed that break because I couldn't take it anymore. I um, always knew I'd go back, but I remember watching it. And I, I'll be honest, I went with my dad and I said to my dad, I was like, you know, my dad was like, oh, what, what's Coleman meant to do here? What's he meant to do? And I did say, I said, you know, if that was Grayson standing there, you'd probably criticize him. You'd probably say, what can he do? I was like, you know, Coleman, on, on paper, Coleman has done a better job. We've kept more clean sheets. We've won more games on paper. But realistically, we're still having those demoralizing defeats. We're still feeling like we're in like a constant circle of crisis. So I completely understand where you're coming from with that. You know, Grayson, again, I'm coming from an opposite perspective. So it's, it's for me to see that, I suppose, is, is probably surprising. But I do get where you're coming from with it. We haven't really moved from where we're from. You know, Birmingham have picked up. Uh, the only team that really hasn't is probably Burton. Bolton, I thought they might drop after they lost Gary Medine, but they went and beat yourselves, mm. I think, actually. That, that was kind of a surprising result. It's kind of odd because... I suppose from an outside perspective, I'm really proud and pleased to have Coleman. He says the right things. I feel like he's going to get it right. But then when you look at the results, although we have picked up more wins, more results, we're still second bottom. We're not, in reality, we're no further forward. Like, are we just, do we just like Coleman as a personality more? Is that it? Does Grayson just seem like he was not the right man for the job? But I mean, yeah, there's more results from Coleman. Like on paper, there is more results from Coleman. So therefore I do have faith in Coleman. But I'm trying to think from your perspective, from an outside point of view, we're still exactly where we're at we haven't moved any further forward really I think you've been a bit unlucky because sort of uh, every team in the bottom six has sort of put a mini run together at some point like you look at Birmingham they've won three of their last five and they smashed you guys 3-1 Bolton have won three of their last five you know even Barnsley teams are getting occasional wins I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's tough. Obviously, you don't want to get relegated twice in a row, but sometimes you need to start fresh. And I think Sunderland have bought so many players that just haven't really had the impact. Big wages aren't particularly fit or, you know, aren't particularly suited to championship football over the last few years. I just thought, let Grayson have his time. Let him clean up the dead rubber. Give him summer and January, because in January, you can get rid of players as well. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we'll wait and see. Like you said, Coleman has got more points per game. And, you know, he's got a couple of good results. I know you guys, I think, was it Burton away? One of his first games, I'm pretty sure you guys won. But Grayson lost loads of games 2-1. It wasn't like you were getting smashed. 
I don't know. I don't know. You, I mean, you know, Sunderland fans, I'm sure I've seen more, know a lot more about the two managers and how they did. But from an outside perspective, you know, they brought Grayson in and I was just expecting Sunderland to be very near the bottom and slowly Grayson to start churning out one nil wins or, you know, get rid of the lazy players and bring in a hard working English core. But, you know, for whatever reason, it, it didn't happen. And with the nature of the game, I think, you know, managers get sacked if uh, if there's any sort of hint of relegation. It'd be interesting to see if, if, how long Coleman lasts. Yes, there's more results on paper if you take just his rate would probably be doing ever so slightly better but not that much better uh, one of the i don't know if i can say a success story but i i will say sort of because he'd been out of the team for so long he, he's probably our best right back and, and probably one of our better left backs as well but i did want to chat about adam matthews he's actually been one of our better players this year of all of the players that we've got of the three or four of them that have impressed Adam Matthews has done quite well what were your thoughts on Matthews at Bristol City how did he do down there well he played 21 games for us um all together and the first sort of half of them or third of them rather was was in a loan spell so we got him in loan on January um this is when Lee Johnson I think Lee Johnson had come in already I'm pretty sure but either way it doesn't matter and he was outstanding he was just ridiculously good he was you know I mean when, when we signed when he, when we signed him we all watched sort of the clips of him at Celtic we thought you know okay good a fast attacking right back but can actually defend it's an upgrade on Mark Little it's needed and he was outstanding you know, I remember I remember in the 6-0 demolition of uh of Bolton, he put in a wonderful cross and he was getting assists, put him away, cleared ones off the line and he was outstanding and sort of him and Tomlin were two lonely stars really in the end of that season. Everyone was begging to sign them on again and Tomlin we signed on a on a transfer. We bought Tomlin from from Bournemouth. Everyone was incredibly excited about that. One of the you know most promising signings Bristol have made in recent years. And Adam Matthews who got on loan for the season and for whatever reason, neither of them decided to replicate the form in, at all. And Matthews just started off and just wasn't very good, didn't seem to be trying very hard, almost seemed lazy or unfit, lethargic, was getting injured. When he did play, he was just woeful and he he just disappeared, just disappeared for the rest of the season. And uh, we went back to using Mark Little. It's it's quite weird. I mean, we've moved on. We bought a good right back at the start of this season, Eros Pizzano, who's been injured, unfortunately, but it's coming back soon. And and he's a real championship right back. Uh, It's interesting that Adam Matthews is playing for, for Sunderland. I know he scored an own goal the other day, but for him to be one your better players I mean obviously he's had a sort of mini revival since he had that awful second loan spell with us I think it's been a case of him I, I described because obviously like again living in Glasgow I, I live with a lot of Celtic fans and a lot of Celtic fans ask me about McGeady and also Adam Matthews as well the thing with with Matthews is I think he's he's very much capable of like a 7 out of 10 and he had a really good game against Fulham at home when we broke our, our home duck but he's, he's never less than like a 6 out of 10 and he did score on goal on Saturday but it was kind I wouldn't lay the blame at him. Um, although he got like the last touch to it, I suppose it wasn't necessarily his fault. Although he he maybe could have done better. I think at the same time it it was what it was. Sometimes that kind of thing happens, unfortunately, especially at Sunderland, um, and especially when John O'Shea is involved. Mm. But I think uh, with, with Matthews, he's he's always a six out of ten. But that's what I was meaning by success story. I can't say success story necessarily because it's not really a success being average on a constant basis but that's pretty much what he's been um like consistently average never really that poor never really that great and i think maybe he's benefited from the fact that although we don't have much quality in any position we seem to have like a collection of right backs that are just absolutely shocking um (laughs) 
and Adam Matthews just kind of isn't. But I heard a little bit about his, his second spell not being that great because I think we all expected Matthews just to, to leave and just to go and I thought Bristol City would be his, his destination. And the fact that he took him again kind of indicated that he did quite well the first time. I mean, he was the forgotten man. Don't get me wrong, completely forgotten man at that point because we signed him when we had Dick Advocar, which is about four managers ago, which, you know, isn't that long in Sunderland time. But but it, it's pleased to see that you, you held him in a high regard because I've got a lot of time for Adam Matthews. He, of all the players that we have in the team, the people that don't care, and I'm, I'm not going to single anyone out because I think it's a collective. There's a lot of people that you see that don't care. The one thing I, w- I will give to Matthews is that he generally always seems to put a shift in and for being such a forgotten man that no one actually really cared about or even remembered that he existed. He could have quite easily just searched for a move, but he's, he's knuckled down. He's done quite well. Maybe that's because you're paying him an obscene amount, though. Still, who knows? Uh, yeah, it's weird. That it's very quite strange, really, that you mentioned him as someone who you know is consistent in his performance because he didn't seem that with us, really. I mean, the first season he was always very good, and the second season, uh, in the second line rather, he was just just not very just woeful, really. So it's interesting that you single him out as one of the few players in Sunderland's team that gives a consistent performance every week. That's quite interesting. But um, it, we saw flashes of it, obviously, in the first loan, and you know, I'm glad he's uh, he's playing well. And he's, I think if he, if he can get to anywhere near his best that we saw that that, that we all saw at Celtic, I think he he definitely be a or yeah, he sort of set like even in the first loan with us. Actually, you you definitely got a, a top class championship right back. Yeah, I, I very much feel like on form he is. He is a good championship right back or a good Scottish Premiership. I think a lot of my friends, obviously, are PSL fans, will talk about the time when he, he marked Messi out of the game. But everyone can have that really good game. He's obviously not that level, but I think you know he's obviously capable of a very good performance and also capable of having a, a relatively poor performance, which essentially is is what the championship is made up of. I think. I think it depends who's more consistent throughout the season seems to do well you have certain players like I think Jordan Hugel I watched this season you mentioned him before he looked head and shoulders above what I'd seen and I thought you know he's, he's going to be premiership quality maybe not high end and I think it's I wouldn't say it's it's proven but he has gone to West Ham and I expect him to do quite well he has the size and he seemed to he seemed to be playing well every week I think the championship is full of players who maybe have three good games too bad and I think Adam Matthews fulfills that fulfills that in a sense um, but then again you know I don't know because some of them players seem to have four bad games and one good so maybe <laughs> we are league one level what was your obviously I want to reflect on the game at the stadium we, we touched on it a little bit earlier again I was quite impressed I was actually quite impressed by Bristol City it, it doesn't surprise me that much that you're doing quite well in the league uh, it, it doesn't surprise me I thought I, I was impressed and there's not many teams that have impressed me at the stadium despite the fact that most of them have beat us there, there really hasn't been that much I feel it's a anyone can beat anyone league and there's not much quality in there but I, I thought Bristol City had a really good spine I'm quite impressed by Lee Johnson I think what Lee Johnson brings to Bristol City obviously makes them tick he obviously has a really good atmosphere we talked about characters before Lee Johnson seems to be doing a very good job uh, I think he, well he is he's certainly doing a, a very good job I think that the, the thing now with, with modern football is anyone any English manager under the age of 40 who wins a couple of games suddenly they're sort of uh, they get on the back pages and everyone talks about them but I think Lee Johnson those sort of back pages are merited um, he, he said last season I mean, when he took, first of all, I mean, start when he first came in. So two seasons ago, he came in in January. We were barely above the relegation zone. We were playing okay. We were playing okay. And I didn't think we were a threat at relegation, to be honest. I think most fans did and thought Cottrell was right to be sacked. But Lee Johnson came in and changed to sort of a standard 4-4-2 was before we were playing three at the back. And we had sort of players like Codger, Tomlin, and we were just beating teams. You know, we, we were comfortable in staying up easy. The next season... 
you know, he brought in Tammy Abraham to replace Kodja. Everyone was very excited and he proved as good or if, or if not better than Kodja. But um, it was just weird. I think, I think he was overcoaching. Lee Johnson said as much in sort of the uh, end of season recap interviews. He said that he felt he was overcoaching the team and needed to simplify a bit more. I think he was sort of making too many subs or changing the team. So winning, you know, we, for instance, we won away at... I remember we won away. We drew away at Newcastle two all. And Aaron Wilbraham, our thirty-year-old striker, started and he started him again when maybe he should have rested him or things, little things like that. Just you know, overcomplicating stuff. I think coming into this season, he learnt a lot. You know, we had the worst ever losing streak last season, and I think Johnson just Johnson just thought, let's go back to basics, keep it simple, let's be a hard-working team, let's get rid of people like Tomlin, put in people like Bobby Reed, and everyone worked together. And I think he's really good at creating little overloads around the pitch. Lee Johnson, I think that we've got wingers that are able to come inside. Everyone's comfortable on the ball. Even you know, even the centre backs and full backs are fine on the ball. I think probably the only one would be Frankie Fielding, our keeper, who's probably not comfortable sort of playing it out or, or playing switches. I think that um, Lee, everyone loves Lee Johnson at the moment. He's hot property. I mean, all these little niche sort of phrases, all the little one um, percent margins that he loves, like uh, measuring the grass or using drones or big t- uh, TV screens for analytical stuff. No one heard about that last season when we were on this terrible streak, and everyone was questioning his little mannerisms and little tactical things. And he's made some predictions, so he's said that he'd like to be in the Europa League in five years. He said that slightly off the cuff, and that was just before our terrible season, so everyone slated him for that. He said Bobby Reid, if he can get on the end of chances, he'll be a £5 million player. Everyone slated him for that. Bobby Reid now looks like he's more than a £5 player. Joe Bryan, he made predictions about Premier League left-back, and now Joe Bryan's being linked with Premier League clubs. I think, we, it's, uh, thank God that we actually gave a manager time, which is so rare in the Football League nowadays. We gave Lee Johnson time to build, build his idea, build his team, and now we're seeing the fruit of, of all his labours, really. And like you said, we've got a hard-working team that have flashes of brilliance with a with a really impressive spine. When you explain it in that way, it does bring back to me why you had the opinion that you had on Grayson. It, it, it really genuinely does. And for me to sit here and say, no, 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 you know, I didn't like Grayson would be true. And, and for me to say I like Cornwall would also be true. But I think when you've lived in that experience that you've had, the only experience I've had is changing managers as soon as it's gone to shit. That yeah. I, I don't think Grayson was the right choice. But I can understand now why you come to that viewpoint because you've mentioned two players there um, before we talked about Aiden Flint and we also talked about um, Joe Bryan and I knew those players because they were players that Sunderland when we were like in the premiership under Allardyce were linked to so I've kept a kind of close eye on them and I know that Joe Bryan's been linked to Everton now as well like before Allardyce was there actually funnily enough and and you can kind of understand why I think when I seen them at the stadium right I was like I could see them fitting into to low end premiership quite easily and is that because they've had the same manager that they trust that they like that they've learned to learn to love in a sense so maybe having that kind of continuity that working on maybe your weaknesses making maybe working on your strengths getting better at what you do having one manager as opposed to whereas you look at Sunderland where we've had loads of different managers loads of different signings almost every manager's had to deal with the last manager's signings and it's we've been changing manager quite frequently I mean this year it was six months we had Moyes for one season last season I, I hate mentioning that guy's name but nonetheless but then before that you had obviously Allardyce and that wasn't our fault but if you look through Moyes' team like Grayson had to deal with Undong Grayson had to deal with uh, Dilabonji at the start of the season if you look at Coleman he's had to deal with McGeady which is obviously a Grayson signing if you look at sort of David Moyes he had to deal with Kone he had to deal with Kirchhoff's injury problems which was Allardyce's signings. Each manager knows how what they want and how to deal with these certain players. But if they change that often, you're left with a bunch of players that don't know whether they're coming or going and what the plan is. And they're changing it so often, it's quite easy to understand maybe why they 
they themselves get as apathetic as we are feeling right now. It just, you know, maybe, maybe, well, I'm saying maybe, I know this is a fact, like longevity is obviously the, the thing moving forward that we need to keep. And it's actually quite depressing to hear someone happy about football because I don't <laughs> remember how that feels, if I'm honest with you. And and people always have a go at me. I think it's a few people that said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about him being depressed. But like, fair enough. Like, I feel the same way. I don't want to be unhappy about Sunderland. Far from it. I want to be happy and proud. And I want to go into my workplace and say, hey, I'm a Sunderland fan. Like, that's me. You know, that's the team I support. That's who I'm proud of. But I just don't at the moment. And it just seems like we're such a mess. And, and I speak to you. I spoke to a Sheffield United fan or a Sheffield United journalist, should I say, uh, James Shield a few weeks ago before a game. I've spoken to yourself today. Very, very rarely have I heard a fan in the championship say they're like they're unhappy to support their team like I am with Sunderland like I think maybe with the exception of uh, the the whole fan that I had on but I think all have their undocumented problems there's a question I always ask and it's funny because I, I will come to it but I always ask you know which players would you take from Sunderland and me and the guy who edits this he always has a laugh he says whenever you ask that question you know which players would you take from Sunderland there's always this pause of uh and on the flip side you hear like yourself for example today Stanley like if I ask you what what players should Sunderland watch out for I bet you could reel off five players quite easily I couldn't reel you off two um <laughs> and how depressing is that do you know what I mean we shouldn't be where we're at but I will ask the question you've mentioned a few players but on Saturday based on you know recent form I mean you've got good recent form take out that Bolton game you've had really good recent form those games against Man City I was fully in the Bristol City camp um, I thought he played really, really well. I think it was really impressive. But which players do you think we should watch out for? I know we've touched on a few, but may- maybe give me a few players that you think will be match winners on Saturday. I mean, it's interesting, this perception that Bristol City are on outstanding form, really, because um, out of the top 15 in the Championship, only Leeds have a worse record. I mean, you guys have been better than us over our, like, this is over our last six games, by the way. Sunderland have got two wins from their last six. Bristol City have only got one. So in terms of us being on outstanding form, playing well, sure, but on outstanding, for, outstanding form in the league, it would not... In partic- not particularly I mean it's, it's hard really because we've had so many weird games recently we've had sort of games where we've lost 5-0 games where we've had red cards games where the opposition has had red cards and games in the cup we haven't really got back to the league fully until probably now in terms of players to look out for I think ones maybe ones that they don't so I'll say Joe Bryan at left back he should be play, he should be starting at left back we've seen him at left mid but I think because our centre back Nathan Baker will be playing at left left back he's someone who has been linked fleetingly with many Premier League clubs like West Ham Everton Newcastle will be linked with him he's very good um, sort of going forward he's got the occasional screamer which I'm sure if you followed our Carabao Cup exploits you would have seen they've got a new loanee called Ryan Kent uh, from Liverpool he's quite a sort of a flair winger I'm still not sure about him sure about how good he is and whether he's going to cut it in the, uh, for the rest of the season but he's certainly fast and he's got a he's got a nutmeg or two in him he played for Barnsley last season did very well but I mean this this season we've got to talk about Bobby Reid he's our top scorer 12 goals in the league 14 no competitions I mean Sunderland fans want to see any, I mean Sunderland fans would dream for a player like Bobby Reid in the Sunderland team someone who simply doesn't stop working I know if he's the consummate pro Reid it doesn't stop running he presses he's 
unselfish. And with him and Famaro Jeju, who's his target man, teammate, who should be playing together, you presume, on Saturday, we've got two very selfless players. Bobby Reed is happy to do all the running. Famaro Jeju is happy to win all the headers and hold the ball up. And those two love each other because they know that they that you know that the yin and yang, they work well so together and they bounce off each other. So keep an eye out for Reed and Jeju, our strikers. Kent's a flair player. Brian's our probably you know our star defender, our star fullback. I mean, like you said, I could, <laughs> I could and I have rattled off five players. I mean, Jamie Patterson might be playing. He's great on both feet. I don't know. I could mention the whole team. I, 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 I if I was a Sunderland fan, like, like you said, I'd be struggling to, to name anyone. Yeah, and I think that, that we've got to that point for, I think, the first sort of five or so weeks that we did this podcast. Yeah, you had quite a few people that went, uh, I, I take grabbing. And the weird thing was, with Lewis grabbing, he was total Marmite with Sunderland fans, complete Marmite, believe it or not. Uh, grabbing was, uh, I was a fan of grabbing. He's paid his goals, and he did that. Other people didn't like how lazy he was. <laughs> but yeah, I, I will ask, if you were to take any player from Sunderland, is there anyone that you would take? Anyone will um, do. Anyone will do. do. I'm looking. Uh, to be fair, you talked about people having a big pause when you asked them. You asked me this what three minutes ago, and I basically had one big pause all the way through. Then, I mean, you've got quite a few youngsters that I think are quite exciting. Um, yeah. I've seen that Joel Asoro play a couple of times, and he seems okay. I know he, yeah. he got him from a Swedish team, and we've got a few Swedish strikers that haven't quite worked out. I mean, if Duncan Watmore was still, I mean, I mean, is it when's he going to retire? He's had two woeful injuries. I mean, he's, he's cock sticky, yeah. isn't he? He's playing so long. I would have him. And the weird one, I got to say, I, I played reasonably close attention to French football. And when you side Didier and Dong, I couldn't believe that he'd gone to Sunderland. To be honest, yeah. I thought that there you go. That is exactly who Sunderland need: a box-to-box centre mid that can shoot from anywhere. He's hardworking, he runs around. I know he costs you 14 million, but I thought, oh, there you go, that's a great signing. So the fact that he's sort of just, you guys are dancing in the streets that he's gone to Watford um, absolutely bemuses me, to be honest. So I, I, go on, I'll have him as well. Yeah, and, and Dong was a weird one. And Dong, he, we didn't have any standout players last year, give or take Jermaine Defoe, Jordan Pickford. But and Dong was probably the third well liked after that one. But he was, he was infuriating in possession. He would win the ball and then give it away, which basically made him pointless. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think anyone's too disappointed he's went to Watford. But I think there is a player there. Don't get me wrong. I, I do think there is a player there. I don't know where, somewhere <laughs> in there, but there's definitely a player in there. But maybe I think this season, the, the big thing with Ndong was, I think maybe his head may have been turned. He might have just gone, uh, this is not how I want my career to go. I'm 22 years old. You know, I want to have a good career in the premiership. That's why I came to Sunderland. Because when he came when he came to us, I wouldn't say we were on the up, but people kind of forget how successful our that January to May was under Allardyce. We lost three games in 15, and that was like Leicester, Man City, West Ham. Um, he came in under David Moyes, which is fair enough. But he came in when we weren't at the ebb that we were. We still wouldn't have expected to go straight down. It was still around that kind of time where we hadn't started too well, but we were sort of used to that. So maybe his head was just turned. And, you know, I think with Sunderland fans, we've kind of had enough of that. You've had enough of that. You either want to be here or you don't. And I think Ndong very much was in the realm of, I don't want to be here. Well, I think Coleman said as much. Chris Coleman said he didn't want to be here anymore. But I think Ndong could do well. I think what was what is quite interesting. I mean, you've talked sort of quite a lot about the the quick turnover of players and the and the quick sort of changing of managers and how that affects having to get rid of the dead wood. I mean, you look at a team like Swansea in the Prem, who've probably arguably had a similar 
maybe not as extreme as you guys, but a similar turnover of managers. And you can add in Watford, actually, to be fair. You know, to some extent, with how Watford are going to play their football. And the Swansea, you certainly know how they're going to play their football. But with Sunderland, it's a case of, well, let's just get in another manager and let's hope they figure out how they're going to keep us up. And at least with Swansea, if you know, if a Swansea yeah. manager buys someone and then leaves or gets sacked or, or whatever, you know they're going to have players that can fit a quick passing game and a possession-based game. And a right Carver has probably gone a bit slightly more gung-ho than most Swansea managers recent times, but at least he's got the players that fit that mould. Because with the Sunderland team, Grayson can bring in anyone or Moyes could have brought in anyone because no, there's no blueprint to how Sunderland play. There's no sort of general formation or general sort of tactical ideology that sort of has, has stuck with Sunderland. And I think that with Grayson, I thought Grayson would be perfect because it would be, let's change it from a team trying to avoid relegation, you've gone down now, let's just change it to a team that works hard for everyone. And I think, I, I don't really know what Coleman's, I mean, have you seen a difference? Is there a particular way that a Coleman team plays? Do you know what a Coleman Sunderland team looks like after, what, a dozen games? Yes and no. I think um, he obviously likes his three centre-offs, kind of five at the back thing, but I, I don't think that works. I, I think the, the difference with Coleman and Grayson was Grayson, we could score. He, like, he'd never keep a clean sheet. Under Coleman, we can keep more clean sheets, but we can't really score goals. Whether that's losing Graben or not, I, I don't know, but Graben didn't score that many under Coleman either, to be honest. So yes and no, in a sense. I would like to think that with the signings of Fletcher, the young boy from Liverpool, I, I think it's pronounced Ajaria, I think is a correct pronunciation. And uh, obviously he brought in Lee Camp and Kazengalawa Lawa. I would like to think that we might see more of it with, you know, some of his own players. But um, I suppose to answer your question, I'm a bit omen and aren't I? So I guess that means no. I, I think he signed some... I, I, I mean, obviously, I didn't think you guys would keep grabbing. But when I saw you guys signed Fletcher and uh, Ajaria, I think there's a good attacking players. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they fit into the team I don't think Fletcher will get anywhere near the amount of goals that Graben did but it will certainly work harder and I think he's got sort of more top end speed and he's probably slightly better holding the ball up I think you know those two signings would would, I mean I don't know if it's possible to get excited as a Sunderland fan but they'd sort of not right now yeah they'd get you slightly closer to a smile if not make you smile yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, the game on Saturday was, we talk about it, because it, it, it's a 2-0 defeat and it was done by half time, so it, it's quite easy to write that game off and say like it was rubbish. But the first, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, we were actually all right. And a lot of that play came through Fletcher holding the ball up really well, looking quite in the game and, and playing in the likes of Asoro and Ajaria as well. And the faded second half, but I think it's it's very easy to to wilt and fade in the atmosphere that is the stadium light at the moment when you tune all down due to your defensive mistakes. And, and sometimes that's the problem. Like defensively, we can concede four goals and we can completely collapse under Coleman or we can simply keep a clean sheet. But then sometimes we'll score, but sometimes we don't. Like we've won a lot of games. Well, not a lot. We've won a few games 1-0. And I think that's Coleman's idea going forward. But I, I would like to think we could... With his own players, with a big man up front. I mean, Fletcher's huge. I didn't realize how big he was. He's like six five. He's massive, and he's he's built as well. He's not he's not a skinny boy. He seems to be doing all right. Ajaria was okay. He faded a little bit as expected, but I think it, it looked a little bit more like a Coleman team for the first half an hour. But then for the the other sixty minutes, I don't know what the hell that was. And I'd be lying if I said that that half an hour makes me positive going into Bristol City because I I honestly don't see anything but a defeat. And I feel like that every blooming week, and it's it's horrible. Like I hate doing that. And all due respect to every team in the Championship, I'm sick of saying I'm worried about Burton and I'm worried about Bristol City and I'm worried 
worried about Ipswich. Like Sunderland have potential to be not worried at the very least about teams like that. And we should be competing more than like more than that. And I, I was hoping that Coleman would give us a bit more of an identity, but yeah, I, I'm yet to find it. If I'm honest, it's interesting. Really. I mean, it's, I mean, you you normally expect some kind of of I mean, well, dead black cat bounce perhaps when when Coleman came in. But um, I know you guys beat Burton, but you guys are still in the bottom two. And the the the, the result that really surprised me was when you guys lost three near three one to Birmingham. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I know they're on sort of a crazy run of form or a decent run of form, Birmingham, but with Steve Cottrell there, we thought that Bristol City fans looking from the outside thought they were done. We thought they were already relegated. I mean, he was already complaining. He was having arguments with fans. They were losing countless games. And then you guys go to St. Andrews and get pasted 3-1. I mean, I don't know what I'd be thinking if, uh, if I was a Sunderland fan seeing Chris Coleman joining Sunderland, you know, having a January transfer window to, you know, because let's be honest, getting Graben and Dong off the books would have been a huge amount of wages freed up. Yeah. And he's brought in Fletcher and Ajaria and, well, I don't know. I mean, you've lost your last two games. I wouldn't be, well, I certainly wouldn't be very positive, but then it sounds like no one is. If the annoying thing is one win pulled us out of that kind of stronghold that the relegation zone seems to like continuously have on us in no matter which division we're in. But, but yeah, Birmingham was terrible. And um, Kone had came back in that game and Coleman had talked to Kone's attitude, which is questionable for, for want of a, a better word, maybe. But um, Kone came back that game and we, we were 3-0 down in like the 50th minute. They pasted us. And the thing is, you might look at that result as well. They, they drew 1-1 against us, I think, on like the 23rd of December, something like that, around Christmas time. And they were the better side and they were bottom of the league at that point. And they had 10, when they went down to 10 men, then we kind of had a bit more possession. But I, I think when they had 11 men, they were far the better side. And uh, Barnsley at home, Barnsley, I think, have won 1-15. in 15. That's against us. And they were far and wide the better side. Nottingham Forest, the game that we won, they had 24, 25 shots. We had one. So you could say we defended well. You could say we were lucky. You don't know. Yeah, it, it's, it's not been too great at the moment. I mean, we beat Hull. But is that any great feat? I mean, you mentioned Barnsley. I mean, with with I mean, maybe something to give Sunderland fans a bit of hope would be the fact that Paul Hackingbottom's gone to Leeds. I mean, sort of the only thing I I mean, look, I've just got the table here, sort of seventeenth to twenty fourth. I think Burton. I know they're only one point behind you, but I think yeah. they're gone. I think the only thing really you've got to hope is that Hull just carry on being terrible. And that Barnsley's loss of hacking bottom, because I know they were going for the Lincoln manager and he turned them down. So God knows what that says about the state of Barnsley. I know they've suddenly fallen into money with a new owner, but it doesn't seem like they actually spent any of it in January. I think you just got to hope that Barnsley and Hull keep up their terribleness and maybe Ajari and Fletcher can sort of win games on their own, really. But I don't know. I don't know. Yes. I, I'd have very little hope for any, any team down there. But like yeah. I said, one win and suddenly you're out there and it's all hunky-dory. So it's just life. If only it was that easy. But um, one thing I always like to end on, obviously, is the obvious a prediction for the game. What, what What's your thoughts? And you can be as you can be as harsh as you want. I'm expecting it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we've got the fewest goals in the top six. So in terms of a route, I mean, I don't know if that means that we're due one or whether we're not going to get one. I think Famara Jeju's probably back to full fitness now, you'd say. And he's got a better goal per minute ratio than Bobby Reid, our top scorer. So it'd be nice to see him get another goal like he did against QPR. I think, I mean, I've got to predict a win, I think, because any sane Bristol City fan would do and probably any sane Sunderland fan would do. So I'll go with a comfortable Bristol City win with uh, Aidan Flint. Bobby Reed and Jeju on the on the score. I'm not going to give a score because I never get them right. 
Um, so I'll, I'll just go a comfortable Bristol City win. Let's let's do that. Yeah, I think I'll agree with you on that. I think um, I honestly don't see us getting anything out of Saturday. I hope I'm wrong, but it's interesting that you said lowest scorers in the league. Uh, you know, that's what I'll go with. I'll go with 2-0, I think, which is horrible to say. I should never go against my own team. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, that that's what I'm going for. I'm going for 2-0 and hoping I'm going to be surprised. And Saturday is the start of a, a revival. But as you can hear, I don't have much conviction in that. Um <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Stanley. Do you want to give a, a wee plug for obviously the the podcast and, and, and the, the site that you're part of? Yeah, if Sunderland fans want to support a team that's not on a hideous downward spiral, um, they can <laughs> follow one stream in Bristol at OSIB podcast on Twitter. Yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna obviously have an episode coming out this Sunday, and it'll be about the Sunderland game, and I'll be interviewing a Sunderland fan outside of Ashton Gate. So if for whatever reason Sunderland fans want to want to hear that sort of five minutes of their opinions, they can uh, they can listen via iTunes. But maybe I'll send it to you, and you can forward to forward it to whoever wants to hear more demoralising viewpoints from Sunderland fans. <laughs> we can do that. But um, thanks for coming on very much, Stanley. I always say this at the end of the preview podcast because it's become a thing. I didn't realise but I hope you have a horrible Saturday um, but I wish you the rest of the luck for the rest of the season and thanks very much for coming on chap I really appreciate it thank you so that's uh, end of uh, episode 10 I think something like that interesting to hear someone being positive again I kind of hark for the days when we could speak to a whole fan sometimes when I say that because at the end of the day, Hull were as depressed as we were and we actually went and won that game. But I don't really know what to say at this point. I, w- I want to say something really positive and I don't know if I can. So I think I'll just leave it as that. But I really hope we can put a performance on, on Saturday. We've got some new faces in who, let's be honest, they were quite good for half an hour on Saturday. Maybe with, you know, that baptism of fire they had against Ipswich, they can really understand the gravity of the situation that we're in and go and perform at Bristol City. Um, the pressure's off. We're away from the stadium light. We all know that we struggled there. Maybe... Yeah, we we win more games away than we do at home. <sighs> how how do I summarize that? Um, I hope you have a great Saturday. I hope everyone really hears me being a little bit happier in the coming weeks because I'm getting a little bit sick of being depressed, a little bit sick of being unhappy speaking about something. But it's difficult. I think it'll be in, an interesting week. Tensions are getting to the point where I think people are needing to see change from the board and from what's happening. And I think there's conversations that are being had across the fan base about what we can do to change that. And I, me personally, not speaking on behalf of anyone, Rogue Report or anyone else but myself, I feel that needs to happen. I think, you know, the anger that I seen on Saturday and the defeat of Whips, which was way too much between each other, I think the anger needs to be directed at the person that's creating that anger which I think we all know where it comes from but again that's me speaking in my own terms but I hope it gets better I love Sunderland that's the problem Um, I'm sure you do as well I hope that we love them just as much on Saturday and we forget just for 90 minutes the mess that we're in and hopefully continue to improve thanks for tuning in thanks for listening you'll hear me before the Brentford game I guess keep the faith is, is where we're at thanks A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.